0: once again to the weekly coffee and heroes podcast our review show is coming at you today and we're going to be chatting about comics from wednesday the 14th of april so a massive week tons of great stuff to get through a pretty even split for a change as well with honorable mentions you know plenty of good stuff from sort of dc marvel indie companies as well And uh, even a bit of variety when it comes to our picks of the week. So it's just going to be a duo of us this week. So it's uh, the dynamic duo, if you will. But who is Batman and who is Robin? Well, you know, I'm your host as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes. I have a feeling we can come to an arrangement here because my partner in crime today is Keith. And uh, he always says that uh, Batman is Nightwing's uh, sidekick anyway. And I I think the opposite. So how are you, Keith? sir.
1: Well, I am good, Alan. It's nice to see you, Boy Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going if we're going purely on edge here, uh, I think we know where we're at. Um, no, I'm I'm doing great. Uh, cannot cannot complain at all. i um, had a nice uh, a nice long weekend and uh, and uh, got up home uh, to see the the now fully vaccinated family. Um, so that was that was nice. That was nice. Um, we bit of uh, TV viewing as well. So. Latest episode of a, of a few of the shows that we're, we're, we're both watching. Uh, one that you're not watching yet, but
0: you're looking forward to. Um, so yeah, cannot complain. Big, big strong week for comics this week. Big time, big time. So many great titles. So many so many times my pick of the week went back and forth and back and forth. And it was just because of one extra detail in my pick of the week that put that over the edge, which we'll we'll certainly get on to later. I mean, it's kind of nice being uh, older boys at this point, you know, where we've both now got our first vaccine, you know, all these all these young customers in the store giving us stick about being old men, they're all jealous now that we've got our first job. That's right. Uh, how are you feeling after your after your jab today? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, mine was only a couple of hours ago, but uh, I'm all good now. We'll see how I feel tomorrow. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, when you chat to the doctor and so forth, to say, look, ex- expect minor symptoms after the first one, but it's after the second one, it'll probably hit you a bit more. So, But uh, we're going to move away from all that serious real world stuff and jump into fantasy worlds left, right and center here. So we we'll always like to kick things off just with a little chat through some of the news that's I've uh, been filtering out in the last week we've broken it down into sort of comics announcements and tv movies stuff but in terms of comics we've just a couple of titles we wanted to chat about quickly i mean we always do a monthly preview show we always go through the previews catalog pick out the best of what we're looking forward to and you know keep you guys up to date with what the big announcements are but there was a fairly big one that came out this week that you know as a massive aliens fan i'm very very much looking forward to you know the Marvel have recently started launching the Alien comic. Issue 2 is actually out this week. We were really impressed with Issue 1. And coming up in the next previews book, there's going to be a one shot which is going to celebrate the 35th anniversary of Aliens. And it's called Alien's Aftermath Number 1. And it's got a cracking strong team on it as well. You've got Benjamin Percy on writing duties, so of course writing Wolverine and X-Force at the moment, but also writing some great indie series as well, specifically with AWA comics. And then the artist on it is Dave uh, Wachter, who is currently on Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, which has been pretty sweet as well. So... Celebrating one of the most influential science fiction films of all time, Aliens Aftermath 1 will be a double-sized issue featuring an all-new story set in the same terrifying universe of Aliens. The action will take place at Hadley's Hope and present a terrifying possible future for LV-426, the location of the groundbreaking 1986 film. So, uh, yeah, this looks like Benjamin Percy's dream product based on what he's been talking about so far, so I think this is one uh, one to look forward to.
1: Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about this at all. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to that. Just based on what you're uh, just just based on your your blurb just there now.
0: Yeah, nice we fill uh, noodle cover for it as well. And you know that th- that's what I really enjoyed about the first issue. Not to double back too much, but the first issue felt like it was part of this universe. It slipped mm. in seamlessly. So uh, so hopes are high for that. So Marvel are treating the, uh, the Alien franchise really well so far. So looking forward to that continuing. Uh, what else did we have announced? We had a. We had something that ruined Keith's OCD slightly, despite not being the biggest Batman, uh, sorry, the biggest fan of Christmas in the world. Uh, so obviously Tom Keane and Clayman's back had is four issues, and it was going to be 12 issues in total. Uh, there's been this little sort of advent calendar motif in the opening two pages, so perfect for 12 issues. So, of course, they announced the 13th issue this week. <laughs> Why? Why? Well, this one's going to be just a one-shot. Now it's actually going to be uh, an artist called John Paul Leon on it uh, and Tom Keane writing. So it's going to be a one-shot that's going to explore the the deeper connections shared by Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle before they even took on the costumed identities. So, uh, yeah, special one-off issue illustrated by John Paul Leon uh, traces the life of Selina Kyle from her earliest days to her entry into the criminal underworld and reveals that Bruce was actually a presence in her life all along some great romances are destined to be and then you have a cover there with a huge christmas tree on it so i can definitely see why you're a huge fan of this Keith.
1: (laughs) i mean christmas christmas where christmas is supposed to be i'm absolutely fine with it we've talked about it before what's annoying me about this is is just exactly that they'd set up this advent calendar motif you know 12, 12 windows we're seeing those windows in the first two pages of every book we're seeing them opened you know at the start of every chapter and there's there's something behind them so I just, I don't know, it just annoys me a wee bit that whatever this was couldn't have been part of the, you know, the actual story and having the release an additional thing. I'm excited about uh, John paul Lyon uh, on it. Uh, I mean, well known for his work on Earth X alongside, he did the pencil and work uh, on Earth X, uh, which was the, the Alex Ross book, uh, G- Alex Ross and Jim Kruger. Um, so, and the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix uh so he was uh yeah so I'll, I'll be picking it up for that for that alone obviously but uh yeah just i mean if you're if you're gonna plan a thing stick to a thing
0: well it still is a thing because clay's not drawn on this so the 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 clay man uh advent calendar will still exist it just won't have a john paul leon uh little uh window on it as well so uh yeah. i see this week that there's probably something more interests yourself than me because i know you were a willing participant in it as well i see that marvel revealed the results of their groundbreaking x-men vote
1: yes so they they have indeed they they've revealed the, the biggest winners and losers of the the election uh and in fact what they did was they put out uh mini comics uh with each of the the losers i guess so they put out a series of of uh of strips you know comic strips featuring strong guy and forge uh strong guy incidentally is who i voted for uh boom boom and tempo uh armor and morrow and uh the illustrated, I think, by Mike Henderson, by Nico Leon and uh, Emilio Leso, with uh, Rochelle Rosenberg providing all the colours, and uh, I think Zeb Wells, the Hellions writer, you know Zeb Wells quite well, uh, he he, he uh, wrote them all, so it was just them sort of, you had one with Strong Guy and Forge commiserating each other at the bar and uh, and all of these sorts of things, I guess, they're, they're add-ons to the Hellfire Gallo, so... Uh, so yeah, it's uh, they, they they've released the the final results of who will be on the X Men team. So uh, and the result of that was the uh, was Polaris. She she won the the real world vote. Uh, so it's interesting to see all these other folks who who didn't the, these other characters who didn't make the vote. Which so the vote obviously was by uh, the 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 citizens of Krakoa. It was amongst Polaris, Banshee, Strong Guy 4, Jarmer, Morrow, Boom Boom, Tempo, Sunspot and Cannonball. Uh, one of them was guaranteed a roll, but there was the real world vote as well, uh, done via Twitter and Marvel's website and whatnot. So I think it's just it's just a fun thing. So Polaris did win that vote and will be the final member of the new X-Men team.
0: Indeed, a new X-Men team that is going to relaunch with a brand new X-Men number one. So this was news that was quite surprising. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised given the, the vote that they were doing, but I just assumed it would maybe be on a different title. Now, ever since House of X and Powers of Ten, Jonathan Hickman has been the head of X. He's been writing a few of the, the X titles, co-writing some of them with other up-and-coming writers. But less than two years after relaunching with X-Men number one, it's hitting the reset button. Kind of, sort of, once again. I mean, it's it's going to focus on a new team. So a new iteration of the X-Men, which is going to feature Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Sunfire, Rogue, Wolverine, Cinch, and, of course, the newly anointed Polaris. So it's going to be Jerry Duggan on writing duties. Uh, Long-time Marvel artist and brilliant artist Pepe Larraz on art as well. So what's your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously, you're, you're more of a Marvel guy than me. I'm a little concerned at being relaunched again so quickly, but... Is there a reason for it? Uh, I think so, and I think it's just what we were talking about. So the this this whole Hellfire
1: Gala thing and uh, and this this relaunch has come from the same place. Jerry Duggan is taking over writing duties from Jonathan Hickman. Up until now, I mean, Jonathan Hickman remains the head of X uh, and is also writing. I think a couple of other another X book. I can't remember which. But up until now, X the X Men book has been. I guess it's sort of been the backbone of the, the the whole relaunch, you know, after Powers of X and House of X. And it hasn't focused on any one character, any group of characters. It's it's sort of uh, told the tale of Krakoa and the politics of Krakoa. And sometimes it's focused on Professor X and Magneto and sometimes on, on other characters. So what they're doing with this uh, election is if the election was for the people of Krakoa to elect the new lineup for the X-Men and the X-Men would become the superhero team for Krakoa, representing mutants in the human world uh, and representing Krakoa, you know, in the human world. So what they've done is they've now unveiled the lineup of that team. It's going to consist of Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Classics there, uh, Sunfire Rogue, Wolverine, Sink, who's been uh, very present in uh, in the X-Men book at the minute, and Polaris, who was voted on, as we just mentioned. So because they're they're changing, they're refocusing the direction of this book to be to be a superhero team again. I can understand. Now I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm not a big fan of relaunches for relaunch sake, but you know you could you could call this the start of season two of of the X Men. Uh, I know that idea sort of appeals to you. Yeah, that that you know. But but yeah, they're refocusing the book to be more of a superhero book again, and and I think that is why they're that is why they're relaunching. Uh, popular as. On Art uh, is is a great shout. Jerry Duggan has been central to Marauders and a number of the other he's been very central to the to the the, the House of X, Powers of X, Rain of X stuff. Um, so I'm happy to I'm happy to see it. And we should be clear that it's not this isn't this isn't like going back or cycling back on any of the House of X or Powers of X stuff. That has very much redefined the entire X corner of the of the Marvel universe. It's just about this. It's just about this one book refocusing on, to be something something different now that now that the politics and the, the geography and everything else of Krakoa have been fully fully established. So it's also interesting. It looks like um, it looks like we're going to see uh, a lot of different artists on as on covers. Um, it looks like. Uh, oh, let me see. Yes, we so we're seeing depictions. Of each of the characters. Uh, we've got Juan Cabal and Professor X, Carmen Carnero and Marvel Girl, Peach Mamoko on Sunfire. Of course. Ivan <laughs> of course. Ivan Coelho and Sink, RB Silva on Cyclops, Natcha Bustos on Wolverine, Patrick Gleason on Rogue and Joshua Cassara on Polaris. And that'll be the, the Stormbreakers covers for uh, for the, the X-Men books. So um yeah, I think they're they're sort of paying homage a wee bit to Jim Lee's nineteen ninety one X-Men number one with that as well. So uh, so yeah, good stuff. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for the the Hellfire Gala. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I should be picking out a suit uh, and uh, and going along myself. And I think that's the feeling they want you to have nearly. Um, and I'm excited for this uh, for this uh, X Men number one in the direction it's going following uh, following that.
0: Well, here's hoping it hits uh, X Men one from Jim Lee kind of sales numbers once again. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? That would be something. Yeah, still the most uh, successful comic book of all time in terms of numbers shipped. I believe at last count it was over eight million issues, uh, which some of which led to some of the comics bubble bursting in the nineties, as everyone thought their X Men number one was going to put their kids through college, but uh, that wasn't to be the case. But yeah, and then just on the uh, one last thing, just to chat about comics wise, and again it'll probably be featured more heavily once we hit the previews podcast. Uh, So Marvel are setting up uh, another one. They're setting up their summer event, so to speak, uh, which looks to be called the Last Annihilation. Now, this is going to be Al Ewing spearheading this, who of course has been, you know, long term Marvel guy for a while now. Of course, doing brilliant work on Immortal Hulk. Is uh, took Guardians of the Galaxy off of uh, Donny Cates when he did his first run. Uh, I believe he was part of Empire as well. It was... He ahead of that as well, yeah. Yeah, so it actually looks like it's going to lead to a event called The Last Annihilation, which will go through some different Marvel comics. It's going to go through Guardians of the Galaxy number 16 and Sword number 7, and you have this very, uh, you know, this very blacked out character. You know, they're obviously keeping them in silhouette here. We're wondering who will annihilate them all. Any guesses here? Uh, I mean, uh,
1: no. i, I- I don't have I don't have any guesses uh, based on that based on that silhouette, uh, the uh, the the figure in the background of the sword number no. seven uh, book is is obvious and if you've read uh, the new Guardians of the Galaxy you'll know exactly who that is but this the title is a definite homage to Annihilation which was a 2006 crossover where a lot of the cosmic heroes got together and fought off Annihilus and his Annihilation wave and it led to the the guardians of the galaxy who we now know as the guardians of the galaxy it led to that modern iteration of that team and al ewing is on both these books guardians and swords both have been building you know their own unique corner for a wee while now and uh it seems that they're going to crash together um so yeah it seemed, i think i think he's he's, he's going to enjoy playing in, in in space uh with his two space books is al ewing um so yeah interesting there's yeah. a lot going on in the Marvel cosmic side of things now with the cree the cree scroll uh, unification and uh, and the, the the impacts on the, the the galactic economy and all sorts of stuff so I think I think that's what this has all been building to.
0: Yeah, I mean again we'll go into tons more detail on all of that once the previews books hit. I do think they will probably hit next week given all these announcements that have uh, have come in but we'll redirect slightly away from the comic side of things and jump into a bit of TV and movie news. We of course have our weekly uh love in for Falcon Winter Soldier as it hits episode <laughs> 5 again gets even better. My my favorite part of this episode was actually just as it started when I looked at the timing bar at the bottom and it said 1 hour.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes. It was uh it was a phenomenal episode. I just I loved it. Um I love the, the 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 Bucky and Sam interaction um I love the fallout from, from what happened at the end of episode four. Uh the how 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 John Walker has has been impacted by the by his the pressure on him and the, the power broker's uh serum and what that led him to do and, and how then the, the, the fallout from from all of that and, and where he's going and then I love you know Sam's training montage with the shield, you know, and I love the fact that you know what, what Walker has got in some ways the the quick way through the serum. Sam has, has has got through hard work and training. You know, and that that fantastic montage. So some great lines in it. Uh, the introduction of uh, Countess Countessa Valentina, uh, a well known Marvel uh, Marvel universe character. Is she uh, is she good? Is she bad? Is she somewhere in the middle? Uh, so I really uh, I really enjoyed all of that stuff. Um. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. And some surprises about Sharon Carter too.
0: Yeah, there was just there was tons of great surprises the whole way through the episode. I mean, but some of the best parts of it for me were the quieter parts. You know, yeah. seeing, you know, Bucky and uh, Sam just coming together as a community and trying to help each other, you know, obviously with the boat and what that means and rebuilding, obviously rebuilding and rebirth is sort of a big um, theme running through all of this coming out of the events of, you know, end game and the five years that everybody lost and all that kind of stuff. I will say with the training montage, I found the placement of it slightly strange because they were showing this uh, montage and Sam wasn't that great with a shield, but about five minutes earlier, there was a scene where him and Bucky are just throwing it around to each other perfectly and i was a yes. l- I was a little bit like this scene should have been before that sort of thing but small gripe small gripe at the end of the day the train of montage was much more intense so you can write it off as that but
1: yeah i mean it felt nearly like they were playing catch whenever yeah. they were you know they were playing it but i think when it was sam by himself he was he was pulling in the gymnastic stuff and uh and he was you know he was bouncing the shield off left right and center and uh yeah i mean he, he didn't have his he didn't have his his body for backup
0: yeah
1: I you know so yeah great stuff great stuff
0: that's fair and then, and then yeah the opening sequence that opening fight sequence in the uh in the warehouse between the three of them was just utterly brutal oh, and phenomenal and inventive as well just real. i, I love how they consistently use falcon's jetpack essentially in really unique ways while he's fighting to give himself bursts of power in different directions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, i take it you sat and watched through the uh for the post credit sequence as well oh yes yes what did you reckon yeah it was it was good to see i mean the thing is we're obviously conditioned as marvel you know cinematic universe fans to sit through credits now with wandavision you didn't always get one and with falco winter soldier i don't think you've always got one either but this was one I actually did sit with it because we were, we were chatting. I think Vicky was still getting over it. She was so annoyed that, you know, Sam had opened that briefcase and then you never got to see what was in it. I think uh-huh. when it went to black, there was a really loud, come on, you know, sort of thing. So followed by a disbelieving. Why is there only one more episode of this left? Uh, yeah, I mean, but what a, what a finale they're they're setting
1: up. You know, Sam. The flag smashers are 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 where they're at. You know, with the 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 council, and so you're going to have Sam trying to stop the flag smashers from achieving their goal. Meanwhile, you're going to have U.S. agent who who will be uh, coming along to to try and kill off Carly, who Sam's going to have to try and protect. And you're going to have Bucky coming along, hopefully as well, uh, to to eat his body, but also potentially based on what Zemo has said, yeah, trying to end Carly.
0: So. This is this is going to be this going to be tense. It's going to be tense. Yeah, to say, to say the least, <laughs> and and most pleasingly of all in the whole episode, they've left Simo alive. Ah, brilliant! Thank- I mean, the, thankful. The, the the character
1: development work that they have done, uh, you know, on that character in this last this last sort of three episodes is absolutely phenomenal. And it seems clear to me that Marvel have learned their lesson with regard to villains. Yeah. You know, they they have they have sort of gone okay. You know, because I mean, I think he he's, what they've done with him is, is one of the standout things of that series.
0: Yeah, it's only taken them, you know, 50 movies and 10 TV shows. and It's like, maybe we can use this guy again instead of just killing all the villains off. Well, you know, <laughs> they, they, they,
1: I mean, Batrock has become a thing as well. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a great cap villain, and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Georges Saint Pierre as well playing him uh, is, is a great shout, and he's still around, so.
0: Yeah, some great stuff, and as you say, I think we're all looking forward to Friday evenings now, more than most evenings, because not only do you get Falcon Winter Soldier, you also get Invincible. Although I haven't mm-hmm. gotten to that just yet. No, you haven't. Um, I mean,
1: obviously I'm not spoiling for you, but still, are, I mean, an immensely strong show, uh, and they've. Uh, I don't. I won't be spoiling anything for you because you've you've read the book, but we're we're in uh, in D. A. Sinclair territory now. Ah. Um, so, uh, so that's quite good. But there was lovely, lovely moment in Invincible this uh, this week. Uh, I heard a song. You know, there was a song synced into the, the the episode, and I thought I recognised that tune. It was by Soak from Derry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, a, a, a Northern Irish artist has a song uh, synced into uh, that episode of Invincible. They should just so. retire now. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, I mean, she's <laughs> she's been doing pretty. She's been doing pretty well. But it's just, I mean, the last time I heard something like that was the Bonnevilles. Um, had a song synced into True Blood, mm-hmm. uh, so but so it's always nice to hear a Northern Irish artist uh, recognised,
0: you know. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to digging into Invincible. So, you know, it's the, I think I've about ten issues to go. So I'm, you know, excuse my French, shit's getting mm-hmm. real. So I need to finish that <laughs> off. But yeah, so I'll look forward to that. And then, of course, there were a couple of trailers dropped this week. There was finally, 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 a look at shang Chi. Uh, this must have got you very excited. as oh, both, yes. both a Marvel fan <laughs> and a martial arts fan. Hundred percent. You're exactly right, Alan. I really enjoyed it. Um,
1: it's a, it's, it's Marvel. Marvel are are twisting here. They're taking a lesser known character, uh, you know, uh, possibly a lesser, to some extent, a lesser known cast, and doing what they did with Guardians of the Galaxy. But you know, and they're they're exploring a slightly different side of the Marvel universe again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're more into the, you know, the, the, the I guess, the, the Kung Fu and, and Super Spy, you know, sb sort of era here. Uh, they are they're picking up, I guess, a thread that that has been there since the start of the Marvel movies. The, the Ten Rings, who were the, the group who captured Tony Stark uh, in the very, very first uh, Iron Man movie uh, and held him held him held him to ransom, uh, were the Ten Rings. Then, of course, that escalated in Iron Man three with the, with the Mandarin. Uh, or not the Mandarin, as the case may be. Uh, ter- 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 uh, what do you call him, Tony S- uh, Slatter- Trevor Slattery, uh, you know. So the the guy playing the Mandarin in the 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 Hail to the King uh, short, we discovered that uh, that Slattery was was acting on behalf of uh, the actual Mandarin. Uh, the Ten Rings, of course, is a reference to the Ten Rings of power that the the Mandarin wears in the comics, and in this. Uh, which is Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I think we're really going to get to the get to the core of that. I think that Shang Chi's background has, you know, become uh, problematic because Shang Chi's father in the comics was originally Fu Manchu, who uh, was very much part of the incredibly racist yellow peril uh, side of things back in the in the 60s and 70s. But I think what they're doing here is they're, they're, they're putting two and two together. Uh and they're they're I think that the actual Mandarin is going to be possibly Shang-Chi's father. Uh and the the the, the, the gist of it seems to be I anyway mean, that that the father is in charge of a criminal organization has all has always been the case uh, in Shang-Chi's history. And in this case he's given he's given his son Shang-Chi, I think it was ten years to live his life before he's he has to take up his role and i don't think she's willing to take up that role having seen life outside of this criminal organization and is going to set himself up against his father but it looks fantastic looks fantastic what did you reckon
0: yeah, I very much enjoyed the trailer. It looks like a bit of a breath of fresh air in the Marvel universe, I think. You know, it's I, I'm always one who loves the real world stuff in it, hence the Captain America love in those movies. Even stuff like Ant Man, which is sort of set in the real world and in San Francisco and, you know, stuff like that. But I thought this looked beautiful. It it's it's interesting. They hired um what do you call him? I think it's Bill Pope. And he was the uh he was the cinematographer on the original Matrix movie. So straight away they're getting someone in who's gonna make this movie look good. The thing that stood out to me the most in this trailer, though, is something that gets me very excited, is there's an actor in it who is going to be playing what I presume to be the villain, a character called Wen Wu, and mm-hmm. the actor's name is Tony Lang. Now, I'm a huge fan of his. He was in the original, he was in a movie called Infernal Affairs, which was the basis for The Departed. He was also a, a frequent collaborator with a, a great Far East director called Wong Kar Wang, Um mm-hmm. Uh sorry, Wong Kar Wong, sorry. And he did movies like In the Mood for Love, 2046. It's just an actor I'm a big fan of, and he's always done brilliant in sort of Chinese movies, but he's never really had a big break in an American movie. So when I saw him in this trailer, I got very, very excited about that as well. So casting looks interesting, the movie visually looks great, and again it's it's a nice change of pace that it's both a it must be both a positive and a negative that when you hit so big with Endgame and the fate of the entire galaxy is at stake, you have to go smaller with your stories. You can't you can't go bigger than that straight away. So things like Black Widow, which is espionage, things like this, of course I say all this and then the Eternals will come along, but <laughs> but they're doing these smaller sort of movies, you know, it's always I I've said it a million times why I'm such a big fan of Ant Man and the Wasp, because it was the movie that you know had the unenviable task of following infinity war but they took it and made it a small personal movie and it was great so yeah hope hopes are very very high for this trailer was very good it's it's not too far away though is it i when's it uh actually aiming for when's release it,
1: when's it releasing um september, I, I uh, yeah i think it's got a u.s release in september the third yeah uh, we tend to now get the Marvel movies actually ahead of the US release. Yeah, so we'll probably get ahead uh, of August then. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, and and I'm very much looking forward to seeing both Black Widow and it in the cinema. Um, couple of wee uh wee moments as well. You know, there I saw a a martial artist with uh with a with look like blades instead of arms, and I think that is Razor Fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the the from uh, Marvel's catalog. Um, I'm pretty sure that was that was razor fist and um and yeah it does confirm that uh that uh, tony Leung is as Wen Wu slash the mandarin who is shang chi's father and the leader of the ten rings uh so there you are um yeah i'm really looking forward really looking forward to this uh as you say for both uh, the i mean the, the the fight
0: choreography in this is going to be phenomenal yeah to say the least so yeah so really looking forward to that check out the trailer if you haven't already uh, we also had a little bit more news on the, f- the upcoming Flash movie, which I know Keith is really excited about, given how much he loves Ezra Miller. Um, but we started to get a few more details on this, and it looks like Michael Keaton is confirmed as being in this as Batman. You also have Batfleck in this as well. It's being directed by Andy Muschietti, uh, who I believe directed It. Yeah, It and It too. And uh, they, they sort of did like a tr- uh, a logo announcement, little little... Uh, little grab of music and basically said that they've started filming now so the, the dc movies are starting to slowly get going again you know they obviously announced black adam was filming a few weeks ago they've got this uh in in production as well and i believe aquaman too as well so um despite all the people out there wanting you know restore the snyderverse and all that kind of stuff dc are moving on people just uh just get over it and enjoy the snyder Cup. and so there was that and then one last thing we had noticed was uh one of the Possibly, I would say it's the second best Spider-Man movie, Enter the Spider-Verse, animated movie from a few years ago, which was absolutely fantastic, following mostly uh, Miles Morales, but also working in other Spider-Men. The sequel to that is currently being worked on, but in a slight surprise, they have actually changed directors for it. So this came out in 2018 and was directed by Bob Percietti and Peter Ramsey. Uh, but I believe with the new one that there is going to be three new directors. Three directors in itself sounds weird to me.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I agree. It's I, so
1: Helquim dos Santos had already been reported as as directing this, but they've added uh, they've added two additional directors: Camp uh, Powers and Justin K. Thompson as a trio uh, directing the movie and they they've made a, a joint statement saying the crew behind spider-man into the spider-verse set such a ridiculously high bar uh, and we're humbled to take on the challenge of charting the next chapter of the story of miles morales um and the, the writers of the original phil Lord and chris miller are saying they're very lucky to have the them on board so um yeah i don't know
0: i don't know what's going on there as long as they keep that really class visual uh, animation style, then I think we're all in for a in for mm-hmm, a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing is, will there be any pulling on the heart uh, strings cameos from Stan Lee this time, which you know nearly destroyed all of us <laughs> in, a, in yep. the cinema when we saw the first one? I don't know. I I, I nearly feel like like uh, we should that what we have is what we've got. Yeah, that's uh, you know.
1: So yeah, absolutely.
0: But that's- yeah, looking forward to that one. But yeah, as I said, it's my second favorite Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man 2 still takes it for me. I, I it, It's yet to be beaten uh, in my eyes. So so yeah, that's pretty much all the sort of comics, TV, movie news uh, out of the way. Just a quick reminder, just in case you didn't know, of course, that you know in the store, Coffee and Heroes in Smithfield, we are open click and collect at the moment, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. But uh, we will be getting back to a full reopening, hopefully by Friday the 30th of April. And more details will be announced on that forthwith. So... We'll move away from that and we will hit some comics so again we're going to cover titles that were released on the 14th of april so big weeks for us both there both here so i had 28 titles in total uh weirdly enough dc was my least but i think that's just because DC are putting out less titles these days which i'm all for uh so six dc for me this week i had eight marvel i had 14 indie and then I had one indie hardcover book, which is uh, a series called Black Science by Rick Remender, and Mario Scalera. I was able to get the third hardcover collection of that and uh, add it to the collection. So that was me this week. What about yourself? Uh, I'm six behind you. That is a that's a chunky uh, indie number you've got there this
1: week, Alan. I have to say that's that's quite quite special. Yeah. Um, I had uh, 22 titles in total this week, so six behind you. Uh, five DC, so only one behind you in that. Uh, you must have got one that I didn't. Uh, but uh, 10 Marvel and six Indie, plus I got one Indie trade paperback. And it was one that one that I've already read, but I didn't own. Uh, and I realized whenever I went down to pick up my pull list last week that I didn't own it. So I picked up uh, the fantastic Blue and Green by, uh, by uh, Ramsey. Uh, so that was that was yeah good good purchase.
0: Yeah, I think when it comes to the DC titles, I think the one that I had ahead of you this week was uh, American Vampire was uh, was out. This oh, week, of course, 19... which I will eventually get in a giant omnibus. I'm quite sure. Uh, which will be a great investment because it's an absolutely brilliant series. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so that was us for the week. And uh, as ever, we'll always jump in with some honorable mentions before kicking into our picks of the week. So. Well, kick off as always with DC and there's quite the thread running through here. I mean, I just said there that DC are obviously releasing less and less titles these days and that doesn't mean that they're going to release any less Batman titles though because I think they know where they make their money. But the thing about it is, I would say, is that the titles are also bloody good. I mean, it, there's, I'm not even sure there's a dud Batman title out there at the moment, but uh, yeah, I'm sure there will be someone who will correct me on that and say something's terrible, but... This week was a strong week, and the first title up that we're going to have a quick chat about was one I think we were all looking forward to. Again, it's always on the basis of follow creators rather than characters, because even if this uh, writer wasn't writing Batman the Detective this week, I would have picked up whatever he was writing, and that is, of course, Tom Taylor. So he's kicked off a new Batman title. It's going to be a six-issue miniseries with Andy Kubert on art and Brad Anderson on colors. Weirdly enough, it was originally called Batman The Dark Knight, uh, and the title got changed halfway through to Batman the Detective. I think they should have stuck with the original title because this actually reminded me of some uh, some Frank Miller vibes here with the Dark Knight Returns. This is very much a a darker, older Batman who's lost so much, who's brooding in caves, who's wearing his battle scars, he's lost Alfred, He's he's lost Robins along the way. And then in this uh, series, it's so far with issue one anyway, the, the key theme seems to be him wondering how much uh, difference he's actually made during his time as Batman. And he's actually able to quantify it in places. He's able to say, well, I've saved X amount of people who are alive right now who wouldn't have been. But then that's what this terror group in this one actually aims for. So, yeah, really, really strong first issue, I thought. A really class interaction with Gentleman Ghost and a, a great beat down fight. Uh, showing Batman's ingenuity again. But yeah, I was really impressed with this. What about yourself, would you think? Yeah, yeah, I really
1: enjoyed it. Um, I can see why they changed the title, uh, because although it is, a, as you say, a slightly beaten down, older, beefier Batman who's, you know, he's lost Alfred and all of those things, it, it has a lightness that Frank Miller's stuff doesn't have hmm and and i think if you were the sort of person who was going oh that's not what i want it's definitely it's not what you get look wise yes maybe but but tone wise i think very very different um but yeah i really enjoyed it i thought you could it's one of those that you could you could six issue mini uh you could jump on board it without too much prior
0: bat knowledge uh would that be fair to say yeah i think so i i think you can jump straight into this. I mean, Tom Taylor always writes stuff that's accessible anyway. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter whether he's, he's writing Spider-Man and doing friendly neighborhood Spider-Man or he's doing Batman, the detective or an indie series or whatever. He's always an accessible writer. And what you need to back that up is a really good artist. And again, the art in this is really, really strong by Andy Kubert. I've talked a lot about, about a title before that he he collaborated on Tom came with called Superman up in the sky. And it's a beautiful looking title, and this is very much more the same. It has sort of a a cinematic feel to it, I would say as well. Yeah, and it, I mean, it definitely it does it does have that, and
1: it does have a slightly more European feel because I mean it's set in Europe. Uh, the the costume is styled differently, I think, to account for that as well. Uh, it's a wee bit more uh, you know trench coaty and uh, and that, which is is kind of cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was worried. I was worried, you know, another Bat Book, but uh, it's a very different Batman. Tom Taylor's on board. So, I mean, if that didn't justify the book's existence in a world where there's probably too many Bat Books, then
0: Andy Kubert's art definitely does. And then the other thing that definitely uh, counts in its favor as a positive as well is there's obviously so many Bat Books at the moment that are either that $5 price point or like the next one we'll chat about, which is an $8 price point. This was straight off the bat a $4 price point for a brand new number one, so uh, you you can't go wrong with that. And again, as you say, the art is is stellar. I mean, you could even just flick through the book and enjoy the art as well. So, yeah, really strong title. wasn't far off being a pick of the week, but... Uh, Again, I'll get on to reasons later why it it didn't quite make it. But yeah, the the other Bat title this uh, week that was really, really good we're chatting about is the Batman Anthology series, which is Batman Urban Legends. So it's, uh, again, broken down into four different stories, so three of which are ongoing stories. So you've got Red Hood and Batman in Cheer, part two of six. So this was my main reason in the first place to pick up this book, because Jip Zdorsky was writing and Eddie Barrows was on art. You then have a one-shot story in this one called Oracle in Ghost of the Machine by Cecil Castellucci and Marguerite Sauvage. Then you have uh, part two of three, The Outsiders and the Caretaker, written by Brandon Thomas, art by Max Dunbar. And then you finish off with probably the main reason Keith picked up this book, which was Grifter in the Long Calm, part two of five. And this is Matthew Rosenberg and Ryan Benjamin. So you were of the opinion that this was a stronger issue than issue one? Yeah, I absolutely was. Um,
1: I the, in in the first the first issue there was two stories that I wasn't terribly interested in. I, I can't even remember what that what the, the, one of those stories was, but it was the other an one was the
0: outsider story. Was it? the, well, the
1: outsider story continues Part here. One, what was uh, and uh, and and I wasn't. It's the one that I wasn't terribly interested. In. I mean, it, it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not a bad. It's not a bad story. They, you know, it's 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 well written by brandon thomas it's well illustrated by max dunbar i'm just not terribly interested in the characters or maybe i don't have a, a great background in the characters but in this there were three really strong stories i'm loving the red hood and batman story uh, i'm really enjoying the grifter story by matthew rosenberg but the oracle story was was really nice i really enjoyed it and you know it, it sort of tells the story of i mean i guess it, it, there's a, a character that a hacker character that uh, that Oracle that Barbara has has encountered before, called Vi, and uh, and she realizes that she needs to be more mobile and take it to the street in order to Tom do all the things she does. So she puts together this like a uh, tracksuit that is totally teched up, and then and takes takes Oracle mobile. And I, I just think the choices they make, both visually and stylistically with the character, are are fantastic. That it reminds me a wee bit of. Uh, of uh, the, a hacker character class from the Shadowrun role-playing game, <laughs> um, which I really enjoyed, and you know she's got the, she's got her smart glasses and her earbud, and she's still doing the Oracle stuff with the Bat family. But uh, so this was this uh, this was a fairly standout story for me, I have to say. And if this was the direction they were going to take Oracle, I would be really pleased to see a mini-series uh, from from that same team. Uh, very very busy panels, a lot going on, and, and juxtaposing physical reality against uh cyberspace you know and all of this stuff so it was very good but the grifter story yeah absolutely um they're sort of nearly doing a sort of a grifter a retag and grifter's origin in the dc universe um with his brother and so forth and how he became grifter uh and again he's he's now and how he came to know um the fox family and lucas fox and how he came to work for them and and, and that but uh yeah, what I didn't realize I needed in my life was uh was a Red Hood versus Grifter, uh, and with Matthew Rosen Rosenberg doing that, I'm I'm very pleased. So, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, good good book, great book. Yeah, uh, well worth the the extra the extra cash as well. I think. You yeah, know, it's it's an expensive that. book. Uh, this this was this was the strongest bat book of the week for me. I know it wasn't for you, but and uh, I mean I'm not normally an anthology guy, but it just pushes along, and and after two issues, this would. This has become one that I would be worried about missing.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's uh, it was a really, really strong issue, being that, that Red Hood story where he's basically become like a surrogate father is, is great and the mm. sort of nice looks into his past as well, You know, the where he's sitting out in the hallway and his, his mum can can't even really afford any money to get us some bread and all this kind of thing. So it's a really interesting look into his previous life. The The background story, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun just going back on it. I mean, you gotta love it when you have a pun of a name of virus as the name <laughs> for a computer hacker. And it was actually just nice. I know I love my da- my my dark Batman books, but sometimes it's nice to have a bit of color. And that's yeah. certainly what this provided, because the other three stories in this are all very dark, set at night, rainy Gotham, violent, et cetera, et cetera. But this was a, a story based on sort of smarts, if you will, instead so uh yeah really really strong issue and and i would agree i think it is stronger than the first one i think the other one was a one shot and issue one was a harley quinn ivy one yeah that's what it was yeah yeah that's what it was so yeah uh, again i'm i'm here as long as chip and matthew rosenberg are both writing on this i'm here every every month anyway so uh, i'm glad those are the continuing stories in there Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was Batman Urban Legends number 2 and then the last DC Honourable Mention of the week uh, and again you just can't get away from Batman to a degree <laughs> uh, Batman's fingerprints are all over this book so this is Rorschach issue 7 so written by Tom Keane, art by Jorge Fornes and colours by Dave Stewart and has possibly the most surprising cameo in a DC book <laughs> possibly <laughs> ever I was not Expecting this
1: once you, you you sort of just start to think you're getting a handle on what's going on in and this Tom King book, which is absolutely beautifully illustrated by Jorge Fornes and, and Dave Stewart. As soon as you feel like you're getting a handle on it, it just pulls the rug out from under you. So last issue ended with uh our unnamed protagonist detective meeting up with Rorschach or at least someone in the Rorschach costume. And of course, you immediately start thinking, well, who's that? Is it is it actually is it actually Rorschach, or uh, is it, you know, is it Walter Kovacs, or is it is it Will Myerson, who is, you know, we know had been wearing the the Rorschach costume and was shot, but more likely it's it's someone else taking up the identity of Rorschach. And it was, but, and I'm not sure who I thought it was or who I expected it to be, but I wasn't expecting who was under the mask. It wasn't some random character nor was it an entirely new character it was actually a real person someone well known to all of us it was it alan do
0: do we really want to spoil it do we really want to spoil who it is (laughs) Uh, okay well you you have been warned that spoilers are of course forthcoming but uh, yeah so obviously this is its own you know reality so to speak this is the watchman reality and in this you have an interpretation of Probably one of the most famous DC writers and Marvel writers of all time, and that is Frank Miller. Uh, This was not a direction you were expecting this story to go. You were not expecting him to talk about his biggest ever hits, which was like, you know, the dark fight returns and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you had a great little uh, nod to Amazing Fantasy fifteen, which I'm sure you really enjoyed in this as well. Yes, absolutely. As they showed off astonishing suspense number fifty They even use number fifteen as well. Yeah,
1: and I mean it's 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 great because it continues the it continues the idea that the watch that superhero comics were never popular in the Watchmen universe. Yeah. Uh, as they yeah I they mean, died out and yeah exactly yeah yeah off. so so what what Tom King has done here is he's he's created. Like an analogue of Frank Miller's, you know, comic book masterwork, in a world that doesn't have superhero comics, and so you've effectively got Miller writing, you know, the Dark Fife returns in nineteen eighty-five, which is pretty much a dark pirate version of of a, a of a pirate character, you know, a, a dark sorry, a dark, it's like a pirate version of Batman. Yeah. You know what i mean so and and yeah so there's there's a lot there's a lot going on in fact it it sometimes feels like this is these last couple issues have become more of a discussion about comics than really about the story but i mean i don't know it's 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 definitely a wee bit bewildering it's not quite incomprehensible it's definitely a wee bit bewildering but it pushes the it pushes the plot forward i think (laughs) <laughs> you know with all the stuff about the 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 tapes you know and the, the 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 space cosmic man that may or may not be dr Manhattan I don't think it is dr Manhattan I think there's a whole conspiracy theory here part of the story that Tom's telling um but yeah I really really enjoyed this really enjoyed it
0: well, that's it I mean you're you're getting into that sort of paranoia sort of noir type storytelling in here which is what's keeping it going for me. You know, because Rorschach always was a paranoid character. So once you start introducing, even if it's his followers or people who pick up the mantle, they all sort of have that common theme. And, you know, the, the thing with the tapes, and because obviously you can't hear a comic book, but there's still this great art of like automatic PA yeah. writing. And, you know, yeah. you're like, is there something there? Am, am I not reading between the lines closely enough? So it actually yes, challenges yeah. you as a reader as well. And I like the, the links to Dr. Manhattan as well and how he couldn't stop the squid invasion and. All this kind of stuff. So it's just well, I, Yeah, a, I mean, again, There's a lot to this book, but, but again that's that's a possibility. It's not yes it's not yes, canon or anything. But it's you're like getting it through I a, heard this story, this is why he couldn't stop it. Yes, you know?
1: so you're getting it through like a like a paranoid characters or group of characters' views as well, you know. So and I'm really interested just to where it's going because you know, we've got the squids very much in in in, in evidence here and we know what was going on. You know, I feel like this is I hope that this is going to drop us off at the doorstep of the Watchmen tv series mm-hmm. you know but whenever we finish now and and what four or five episodes four or five issues uh, i hope that that's worth
0: you know it's it's very 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 compelling very compelling stuff yeah and i love the uh, I'm, I'm sure jorge forna just got a massive kick out of drawing that one panel that well I suppose I'd have drawn the whole thing, but especially that one panel where the squid tentacles in a building, all the dead bodies are there, and you see the doomsday clock just with the blood dripping down it, and you know that's straight out of Watchmen. And yeah. and the other thing about it is, is it really makes me want to read Watchmen again. Well. <laughs> so it's a yeah. it's working on those levels as well. So, but yeah, great issue, and it's it's such a slow burner of a title and it just seems to get more and more intriguing with every issue. So I hope, as you say, it is going in a direction that we're all going to be happy with. And it's not going to be one of those, you know, ending, not living up to the journey, so to speak. But yeah, loving it, uh, loving it so far, I have to say. Yeah. big stain, big stain. So yes, that was Check number seven, uh, Tom Keane, Jorge Fornes and Dave Stewart. So we'll move away from the DC side of things and move on to Marvel. So, you're probably bored, witless, hearing us talk about <laughs> Daredevil, but you know what? We're gonna do it again. Uh, uh, Daredevil twenty nine this week, and uh, we're, we're continuing on Electra as Daredevil. And
1: uh, well, that and and Matt's uh, journey in jail. I mean, this was this was amongst the best of the week again. So close to pick of the week. Uh, yeah, I mean Zdarski Tchero, amazing team. Consistently rates this book amongst the top of my my list any week that it comes out, but. I think I think was I mean this is this is a direct continuation from 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 number twenty eight you know the, the the same the the conversation the the continues straight from twenty eight so it's these are the, this is a two parter yeah twenty eight and twenty nine um, Matt he's already feeling the effects of the poison in his food he steps into the yard to to purge that using some of sticks old body control trick techniques which I think was a lovely. A lovely reference you know as he tries to slow down his heart and stuff like that and he steps right into a trap and then as you say electra is continuing as daredevil and she's training the young girl that she had no choice to, to to take in after king and black and you know teaching her how to be you know stronger than than the people who will threaten her but i think it's really interesting do you remember back uh in the earlier arcs of this series you had nearly like a uh, I guess it was a scales where you had Matt on one side and Wilson Fisk on the other, and whenever Fisk was in ascendancy, Matt was in descendancy, mm-hmm. and then whenever and then it flipped around and Matt was in ascendancy and, and Fisk was in descendancy. Well, I nearly think that Zadarski's doing the same thing here, but it's Matt and Electra because and and I, you've got Matt and he is slowly losing control of the situation that he's in in prison, whereas Electra is gaining control of. Of Hell's Kitchen and her role as Daredevil, so I think there's that, there's those scales at work again, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So I think this is, uh, yeah, I think it's it's, it's really fantastic. Um. And Chichero, the way he just jumps between, you know, locations, the prison and Hell's Kitchen, it just looks, and they're they're very different locations, very stylistically different, and you know the the rains coming down in the prison yard and the really violent fight that. You know, doesn't necessarily go the way we want it to. Uh, it's, it's great stuff, and then all set against the backdrop of what's happening, you know, with uh, with the Libris gang and all of that sort of stuff, um, and, and and Wilson Fisk and so forth. Very, very good stuff.
0: Yeah, lots of spinning plates here, and it's it's good to see callbacks to that Daredevil annual, annual sorry, that obviously introduced Fisk's son and introduced mm. Oh you know, yes, of course! And introduce Matt's brother, and you know, it's it's you know, you even get that little sort of, whoa, whoa, Fisk's son, check out Daredevil annual number one, you know there's something yeah. pleasingly old school about that Yeah, so,
1: it's, know.
0: yeah it feels like a uh, cast back to
1: um, yeah, some of the, the Daredevil stuff, you know, the the, the 80s and early 90s stuff. I think, yeah, I think he's doing that deliberately.
0: And one of my favorite parts actually was, uh, as well as going back to sticks, you know, uh, meditations and instructions and so forth, he remembers a night out with Foggy where guys challenge him in the street to a fight and Foggy starts dancing. So they just look at him like, you're absolute weirdo, let's get out of here. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. I thought was really nice as well. But yeah, Marco Cicero, that man can draw a fight in the rain between mm-hmm. 50 people. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I think what you're saying, you
1: know, the references to stick and the references to foggy keep those characters present even whenever yep. they're not in the book you know it's uh it's really cool yeah
0: yeah cool. so again one of us probably would have picked this as pick of the week except we're sick picking it as pick of the week just <laughs> just get on it if you're not on it it just continues to be awesome um, another title, you know, we well, may as well just continue with this. Gee, I can't believe we're on our thirds at title already. Yeah, we, this, this chips at Arsky loving. Yeah. yeah, people are going to think he's paying us at this point. But uh, <laughs> why don't you take point in this one? Because I actually thought this might have a shot at your pick of the week. Interesting.
1: Um, so yeah, we've got uh, we've got Spider Man, Spider Shadow Number One uh, by uh, Chip Zadarsky, Pasquale Ferry, and Matt Hollingsworth and it seems to be launching a new era of marvel's seminal what if
0: stories probably in line with the would you say the anticipated animated the series animated series coming soon i'd say so it's good to always have that cross recognition um i think you
1: should take over in this one because i think you might have enjoyed this more than i did oh really?
0: are you not a fan of what if stuff are, are no,
1: you, I are, am. I I am a fan of what if stuff, but uh,
0: I'll explain once you uh, once you uh, once you take well, take it away. That's fair. Well, yeah. So uh, as you say, this is a new what if uh, imprint for Marvel. Chip actually even put out a newsletter. He designed the logo for it himself, and he spoke about it at, uh, in terms of what if titles in the past were always what if one shots. It was like you know, what if Captain America had never been reawoken from the ice? What if you know? In this case, what if Peter Parker essentially gave in to the symbiote and essentially became Venom? And what he said was interesting. I thought is that they're not going to be one shots anymore. There's going to be four part miniseries. There's going to be two part miniseries. But yeah, this was a real. I, I really, really enjoyed this. I I love the idea of you know, I love the idea of a superhero doubting themselves. You know, they can never do enough. You know, it's always Superman's big you know weaknesses i can't be everywhere at once and in this title i thought they really rammed home about how peter wasn't quite powerful enough you know to to save gwen stacy or you know to to save his aunt or all this kind of stuff but with the symbiote if he turns to the dark side a little bit he's able to actually do this but does he lose his humanity in the meantime as well so i thought this was really 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 great i thought that uh I thought the art suited it. It was a little bit more cartoony than maybe you would, you would maybe expect for quite a dark tale. You know, you got some hobgoblin stuff in here, um, and the way that ended between the two of them was uh-huh. dark to say the least. Um, I mean,
1: Pasqual Ferry's artwork, I thought was, I thought, I thought it walked the line. It was, it was equally gorgeous and horrifying. And you know, the 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 dream sequences that. That had Peter running through the flames and haunted by all of the women in his life. You know him looking, Peter looking totally haunted and tired with a, the the permanent stubble and the the bags under his eyes in a way we're not used to seeing him. I mean, I love Pasquale Ferry's an old Marvel and DC hand, mm-hmm. and some of his favorite work. My favorite work of his was was on Heroes for Hire series back in 1997.
0: Yeah, uh, so it's really nice to see him to see him on this again for sure. Well, I like as well that it's not just a Spider-Man story. You know, the Fantastic Four make an appearance. They obviously, Reed Richards wants to experiment and, of course, because the symbiote has slowly taken over Peter, he takes that as paranoid. If you just want it for yourself. You know, it has that, that Gollum-esque quality to it. Mm, of, you know,
1: uh, Yeah. You know? I mean,
0: this is all this is all stuff from the original saga
1: of the Alien costume. You mm-hmm. know, Peter went to visit Reed Richards and there was that sort of... So, this is retracing those steps in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, but... This was also done before. This was done back in nineteen eighty nine in mm-hmm. what if volume two number four, What If the Alien Costume had possessed Spider Man mm-hmm. was done by Danny Fingeroth and Mark Bagley. Uh, back in back in nineteen eighty nine. And I mean I don't know if it'll go the same way. It might. It might. I mean maybe I don't I'd imagine if, if if Chip's starting the relaunch of what if he's he's gone back and read a lot of this stuff. Um so but I don't know. Maybe knowing that story, I wonder if this'll go the same direction. But I think because I'm so familiar with the saga of the alien costume, that's it's one of my favorite Spider-Man stories, that there weren't too many surprises here for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, great team, totally evidenced in the in, 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 in what they've done, and they might take this story in an unexpected direction, which is, you know, that that's what makes every great what-if, but they haven't done that quite yet Yeah. Uh, for me, and it's looking like a great story, Struggle of a, you know, as you say, the struggle of a good man as he fights his own dark impel So we know how much Chip likes to inflict torture on his characters. <laughs> you know? So there, there, there is that. But I, I just great story. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely pick it up. It just hasn't done what I think it's going to do yet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think there's more. To, I think there's more to come. There's more surprises uh, that that will really make uh, make for a good what if story and. I think maybe part of it is because what ifs were were for the most part always one one issue. And that's maybe what what's got me. This is a four issue series, so that so the twist hasn't come yet. But yeah. Uh you know, the so yeah, but no, great uh, great book. Really looking forward to to the next four, but just just not quite there for me yet.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I really enjoyed sort of towards the end of it especially, where it, it's a weird thing to say in a way about Spider Man as a superhero, but do you not get the feeling a lot of times that the supervillains in Spider-Man stories, they don't fear Spider-Man. They look at him as a nuisance. You know what I mean? Because he's wise cracking and he's a lighter touch and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But just at the end here were obviously, you know, spoilers. Just at the end here where obviously Aunt May is killed by Hobgoblin and he's, you know, sort of st- seeing stars as a result. He's like, lost it was just a mistake. And then he's being sort of whipped up by Spidey and he says, You you started it. It actually becomes a case of the villains are starting to fear Spider-Man in this guys, and that yeah, in itself yeah. is interesting ground for me because you just always... I don't want to liken it to Scooby-Doo, but there's always a real factor to me of Spider-Man stories of I would have got away from it if it was a few meddling you know, spider sort of thing, you know? Uh-huh. So I, I like these explorations of darker stuff. Obviously, I'm a DC fan, so of course I like it. <laughs> but yeah, four issues I think gives it room to breathe because I think, as you say... In the past, it was always one-shot storytelling, so therefore maybe it hasn't quite grabbed you yet. But we're only a quarter away through the story, so true. it, it gives, true, gives yeah. it room to breathe. And and again, always, you always you you trust the uh, the warm, soothing, warm embrace of a Chip Zdarsky title. So you know. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I trust him
1: one bit, <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, but yeah, no, great. Absolutely great. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing where where What If goes. And uh, actually, uh, I'm listening to Rob's Observations podcast at the minute, uh, Rob Liefeld's podcast, where he's effectively he's he's positing the idea that uh, that the What If books are, are Marvel's secret playbook.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, that uh, that 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 there's, you know, some stories that are even playing out. What if stories that are now playing out in the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, which is really interesting, uh, really interesting take. But sure, Rob always is full
0: of really interesting takes. Uh, man loves the sound of his own voice, so he does. Um. So yeah, that is uh, Spider Man, Spider Shadow, number one of four. Uh next up we have a title that you know we we, we don't often disagree an awful lot in this pod if we're gonna di- if we're gonna discuss something. We we have a lot of similar tastes but this is a title of, for me it just didn't grab me and I don't we don't say that often in this pod we we always try to keep a positive but this was uh this was going to be a starting point so Guardians of the Galaxy number 13 so this is uh al Ewing continuing his work but the idea was that the first 12 issues were one story arc this is a brand new uh, story arc and I believe legacy number 250 was 175. 175. 175, yeah. So this just didn't grab me, and I did something that I don't normally do with a comic book, and I didn't finish it. But now you're going to tell me why I should pick it back up and read it.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I would, I would, I would say so. Just, uh, I mean, it's worth, it's worth picking up and reading for the last, for the, the last three pages alone. Um, but yeah, so. I mean, this is this is a new status quo. So Al Ewing's staying in the series. We've got new series artist Juan uh, Frigeri, uh, and there there it is. I a, a, a guess an exciting new status quo. And because of that, the art change from I think it was Juan Cabal uh, isn't so jarring. Uh, and I guess with a new feel of the book, it was the perfect time to to do that. Juan Cabal is a hard act to follow, but uh, but Frigeri's art is kind of is kind of clean and appealing. So. We have the Guardians, Guardians, as a result of everything that's happened in the previous 12 issues, taking on a more professional galactic superhero role um, and, and expanding and dividing the teams. So a portion of the team is answering a distress signal from Emperor Hulkling, so we're coming off Empire here as the uh, the progenitors attack his people. The other half of the team... Or maybe quarter of the team. Uh, we maybe haven't seen the whole team yet. Has been sent to find a survey team that has gone missing after discovering a new world in a in what looks like a sort of an aliens esque situation. And both teams find themselves with more trouble than they expected. And there's a new enemy revealed that I did not see coming. And definitely, definitely worth reading those last three, uh, those three or four, three or four pages for Alan. So it's. Taking a fresh look, new headquarters, there's new costumes, all of the, all of the team have, have added the the Guardians logo to them in some way. Uh, you know, whether it's Nova's badass, uh, you know, 80s biker cut over his costume with a, the Guardians logo on the back or whatever. Um, they're more organized than we've seen before in this series. The Guardians are always kind of misfits, but they've become a true superhero team and they're, they're doing it very surprisingly well. Um, and while professionalism might normally indicate, you know, less crack, you know, the usual snarky playfulness is here. Um, and I mean, Al Ewing knows the personalities of these characters
0: that we've that we've come to know and love. I guess maybe that's it. Maybe you haven't come to know and love them, Alan. I think that's fair. I mean, my the one of the reasons it didn't grab me was just the cast is so large, and there are certain characters, you know, maybe legacy characters that I know a bit more, but. It it just didn't come across as maybe very new reader friendly, so to speak. Like Al Ewing's a brilliant writer, so I've I've no doubt that you know it'll grow to be a great title. I'll probably give it a go again at some point. It's just obviously the pile was that big this week that you know sometimes halfway through something you sort of go this isn't really grabbing me, Uh, but I have held on to it because uh, Vicky's a big Nova fan, so uh, obviously Nova's front and center of of the Guardians team, so 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 maybe Um, I'll just have another go.
1: It is interesting because you'll, you'll recognize most of the of one of the teams and maybe not so much of one of the others. So Nova, um, Gamora, Star-Lord, uh, Hulkling, Wiccan, and Groot, uh, and Rocket are in one team.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that would be the team that you would largely recognize. Um, and it's interesting, Emperor Hulkling, who is the, the emperor of the Skrull Cree, uh, galaxy you know the, the, the unification he's on the team as as is his uh his consort uh wiccan but then the other team you might you might not recognize so many members of that particular team you have um obviously drax is there uh but then you have quasar who's a character you might not be so familiar with and they've done some interesting stuff with quasar uh where uh quasar is now now has two separate identities that uh, that exchange whenever they clash together, the mega bands, you've got Marvel boy, who was a, a Grant Morrison. Design, yeah. Actually. Grant Morrison card, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And then, um, we've got, uh, Oh, I can't even remember what you call her. Um, and there as well. So, but I know definitely give us, pick it up and give it another go. Um uh, before the next issue comes out. Uh, and I think you'll, I think you'll, you'll quite enjoy, uh, what happens. Uh, maybe you don't know Moondragon dragon either. You might not be so familiar with Moondragon. dragon. No. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you have any queries, questions, just uh just let me know. But I think you should enjoy this because the writing's great, you know, the art is great. Um if it's only the characters putting you off, I would I would power on through. Uh, I think Al
0: Ewing will do you the favor of reintroducing you at some point in the near future. Well, that's fair. So that was uh Guardians of Galaxy number thirteen or Legacy one seven five. One title I am very, very familiar with when it comes to the Marvel side of things is Thor and uh, the great work Donny Cates and Nick Klein continue to do on this title. So this was the last issue of the six-issue Prey storyline, and I think I might be in the minority here. I really enjoyed this. From what I can tell, I mean, I can understand the criticisms coming towards it. It is a little bit like, I think Martin actually put it best, for five issues, um, Donald Blake was essentially end-of-game level powerful and then the sixth issue it was just like, nope, we've collected what we need, boom, you're beat. But I actually thought this ended really darkly and really interestingly. And I seem to be in the minority here. Yeah, I mean, yes, it did. I mean, I think um,
1: I think it maybe wasn't the ending I was hoping for, or maybe um, I'm going to have to read it again. And I mean, I love the, the prey storyline and the introduction of Donald Blake as the antagonist, and the story that followed was really inspired. But I just, I'm, I just have this feeling that that Donny maybe didn't stick the land in here, which is also the feeling I had about King Black. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the ramifications from this will carry on into the future, and will the changes that have been wrought on Thor and Loki and everyone by Odin's return will be felt further down the line. It seems very clear to me that that Donny has a master plan. Yeah, long term, and he's plan. moving all his. Yes, as he often has, and he's moving all his pieces into place. I think Loki, who probably capitalized on character development in this arc more than anybody, mm-hmm. is chief among those playing pieces, and I'm really interested to see what's happened But, but yeah, and and, and I'll be interested to see what happens with with Donald Blake uh, as well. Um, he he seemed to be he seemed to be suggesting that Donald. I don't know some. I, I, what Loki and Donald, those last four or five pages, might three or four pages, might take a wee bit of dissecting. But enjoyed it, just maybe wasn't the ending that I was
0: hoping for. But then I also don't know what ending I was hoping for. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I, I just thought it was really tragic. I thought you had moments, you know, Donald Blake's breaking down, crying, just saying, kill me. You have Thor stepping in, obviously, you know, going against his father, who was more than happy to put Donald Blake out of his misery. And Thor's like, no, I am the king. I make those decisions. You know, it it ultimately took everyone to take him down, and it took, you know, someone who's becoming my favourite character at the moment, Better A Bill, especially after that other awesome series that launched as well. But, you know, Better A Bill coming back to the fore here as well. I really, really enjoyed it, and and the overriding feeling I was getting from a lot of people was disappointment. But but again, as you say, it's maybe with this and Keenan Black being in close proximity to each other, both coming to a conclusion similar time. There there was a similar feel to them, I would say. Of we level up with new weapon, we take down big bad. Now we're yeah, top, you know, yeah, so maybe maybe that yeah, maybe that. But uh there, no, I'll give it, I'll throw it out and give it another go. Is there anything you can tell me about the snake at the end, who is essentially blinding Donald Blake? Is that any is that any sort of Thor mythology right there, or because there's no name mentioned? You know, it's just they seem to be low down in like a, a dungeon that only Loki seems to know about, and he says he renounces his title; it is yours now. And it ends yeah. with essentially being blinded almost by a snake's poison or something. Um, yeah, no, I I don't know if there's a if there's a, a larger Norse
1: mythology around that or Thor Thor background around that. Uh, I must uh, I must uh, check and have a I must check and have a wee look. Yeah, um, I don't. There's not I can't shed any
0: light at this moment. All that's fair. That's fair. Well, sure. Why don't you finish off then with one last uh, Marvel honourable mention? Yeah, you're not uh, you're not reading Wolverine, are you? No, you ask me every time, and every time yes, I say, I'll give it a go at some point.
1: Uh, I can I can hardly keep track of the comics. I'm reading, never mind the comics you're reading, hence the how <laughs> to ask you. Um, but uh, yeah, Ben Percy's uh, Wolverine number 11 uh, is great stuff. Uh, so in, in, in Percy's Wolverine, Logan is full on... Uh, fighting a war against the vampire nation almost like blade did in his movie outings mm-hmm. Uh, he's traveling across the country he's ferding out nests and spoiling vampires fun and 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 doing doing what he's best at doing what he does best and as a result i'm really hankering for a for a logan blade crossover uh i think that that could be a thing of beauty but Omega Red, who's a, an old uh, school X Men villain, is in league with Dracula, and the vampire nation is attempting to replicate Logan's blood for use in their blood clocks, which they allow them limited, limited uh, uh, capacity to be daywalkers. Um, you know they, they they fill these things with blood, uh, they stick them to their chests, they absorb the blood throughout the day, and allows them to 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 stave off the worst of their their weaknesses. The Vampire City is based in the Chernobyl containment zone, which is awesome. And it all feels like it's moving towards something. like Just like we're saying about Donny Cates and him putting his pieces into play. So it seems to be setting up the Vampires against Krakoa as nearly a major world power. And I feel like there could be some sort of event or big Marvel crossover brewing here. And with Benjamin Percy in charge, given his worldview from AWA's Year Zero, I think that would be awesome
0: interesting yeah i mean i think that
1: that 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 could be that could be something there's been changes in artists in this book that are making me a wee tad nervous victor budanovich was on it for so long and then uh on Kuberts was on uh the, the the big um legacy issue but uh but no it's really great there's a fantastic scene with the mosquito in here as well where this mosquito lands on they were kind of it lands on Wolverine and sucks his blood. and Wolverine slaps the mosquito and crushes it. And then the mosquito regenerates on his hand and flies off. Uh, you know, and then it, it, the, the mosquito's crushed by another character. And it, it was sort of, it, I guess it was showing uh, the, the vampires, you know, the vampires are using Wolverine's blood to give them temporary regeneration powers, but it was a really lovely way of showing it you know one bloodsucker and another bloodsucker um and and the effect of wolverine's blood it was it was very very clever but yeah i think i think this is i'm looking forward to seeing where this
0: is going and enjoying where it's at cool so that is wolverine number 11 and keith's latest push to get me to read wolverine uh (laughs) <laughs> again, all the issues will always be in my house because Vicky has Wolverine right from the start. So if I fancy a long form reading pro- uh, project, it's definitely there. But uh, yeah, we'll finish off uh, Marvel there, and then we'll move on to indie honorable mentions. Then, so yeah, as Keith sort of pointed out in the in the intro, I did have a fairly big intro week that uh, indie week. Sorry, this week there were a couple that really stood out, and uh, again, we're pushing that. Pick of the week territory. The first one, of course, was Kanto and the City of Giants. This is a, a brand new number one, a three-issue mini-series, three issue side quest, if you will, uh, just before we get to Kanto 3. So Kanto, of course, is uh you know the creation of David M. Boer and Drew Zucker. We were fortunate enough to chat to them on the pod not too long ago. You can certainly find it in the back library. Really cool guys, really passionate, and we're big fans of the little tin giants. So this is essentially a three issue mini, but Drew is not drawing this one. The artist is uh, Sebastian Perez. And I have to say, he didn't really skip a beat. This felt very much like the world of Kanto. This is going to be a, a three issue where Kanto is basically going to try and help these two giants from a previous issue or previous series basically regain their credibility and their reputation you know they they've been buried and uh, in, in quite an old fashioned sort of way they've been buried underground and only their heads can be seen so that you know people can essentially throw dirt at them all the time and it, it, it reminds me of that game of thrones sort of shame shame sort of sort of thing but they also love arguing as well and they're facing it like facing each other so it's really charming and funny and interesting and of course kanto being kanto he can never resist the uh the opportunity to be heroic so uh yeah i really dug this i thought it was really fun i thought the the giant royal family were quite interesting with the uh (laughs) the husband and the wife who like to shout at him quite a bit as well so uh yeah really cool little issue if you enjoyed the first two volumes of canto there is absolutely no reason why you will not enjoy this
1: yeah i mean this was this was great i mean uh david switches up the the storytelling a wee bit you know to to, the start of this and uh We've got links back to the the one shot, the Clockwork Fairies, with the the Mysterian witch, um, you know, who is you know the, the witch is it seems to be is going to be Kando's sidekick in this quest, uh, which is really really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I loved it, I loved it, I love a we I love a wee side quest. Um, you know, the 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 art, it, it's it's not. I felt as strong as, as normal, obviously Drew Zucker designed the world, designed Canto, knows it inside and out, but, uh, but uh, you know, the, the, the stand-in artist, uh, Sebastian Perez, does does a great job, I think, um, still very, very solid, still fits the themes and, and tones that have been set out so far, um, so yeah, and, and we're continuing to explore the world.
0: Yeah, definitely. Anything that expands the world, you know, we're we're definitely on board with. So, so yeah, I mean, you you could easily jump into it as well, even if you haven't read the two first volumes. You could always go back and and read those again. But uh, I think it stands on its own. Certainly from an issue one, and introduces you to this world really, really nicely. Another title I really enjoyed this week, and, and I have to admit, I'm surprised this is one you didn't pick up, Keith, because I think this will be right up your street. Uh, this is an image series called Home, and it was a brand new number one that hit this week. It's written by Julio Anta, and the art is by Anna Weisek. And this is this is a pretty important and actually a pretty hard comic to read. It's it's essentially all about this mother and son who are trekking from Guatemala to America seeking asylum. They have a family member who lives and works in America and they'll be able to get them jobs and get the boy in the school and all this kind of thing. But what's interesting about this uh, title is the villain in this is essentially the U S is real and absurdly evil policy started under president Trump to deliberately separate families at the border in order to discourage more migrants from seeking asylum. So, the thing is, you know it's going into that point. You see the, the hard journey that the this family goes under. You see that they're really good people. There's moments of generosity littered through it where they help other people with food or or share. They're good people who just want asylum and want to be given another chance. So this is already a really interesting book with what it's promoting. But the kicker for it is, is once you get to the end of the issue and the mother and son have been separated, the son starts to uh, exhibit super heroic abilities. so it was a really really good series quite a hard read because it's sort of showing the harsh realities of the world a little bit and you know showing families getting separated and there's real tears and emotion from the characters you know there was this great uh, page in it where I say great uh, powerful is probably a better word but we're just ahead of our main characters you see another family being ripped apart you know the, the child being taken away and you just know the mother is standing there going I know this is going to happen to me and my son, but I still have to try, you know that sort of thing. So, really, uh-huh. really good first issue. I think it's going to be a five issue mini series in total, but it's uh, really, really powerful stuff and really, really interesting stuff and totally different. Again, you know, I'm always a big advocate of of indie comics that move away from the super heroics and move away from just being genre pieces. So, I was really, really impressed with that first issue.
1: Yeah, so. I mean that sounds that sounds. Really interesting, and, and I mean, the uh, the next issue I have in front of me kind of uh, hits that description as well, Alan. You know, mm-hmm. it's not super heroic, it's not a, it's not a genre piece, and that's issue three of Redemption by Christina Faust, Mike Dudar Jr.
0: and Lee Lorchage. So we're halfway through our our five issues here. Uh, did you enjoy this one? Yeah, it continues to be great stuff. I mean, it's it's hard to shake the the feeling that Linda Hamilton is that main character. She's basically Sarah Connor. <laughs> uh <laughs> thanks you know and and look and look at least you know in I, look think, and mannerisms, I, think, I think i think i think the butcher
1: is a wee bit more cold-hearted and badass than sarah yeah even uh i'm starting to feel but uh yeah so we've hit the midpoint in this uh, series continues to look awesome this is very dialogue light there's entire double pages of uh of panels that are that are free of dialogue um so it was very very dialogue light we look in a uh, see a wee bit of uh of our uh, our um, sheriff's history uh, and his history with the butcher and 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 where that comes to in this so still building the world building the relationships and uh, you know really looking forward to seeing what these last two last two issues bring as our our protagonist uh, I guess commits her first killing and uh, and moves a little more in the direction of of the butcher uh, and uh, they they become a little closer I think they both are. They're both moving in, in in different directions, but towards one another uh, as they uh, as they move towards the the end game here and the the rescue of uh, of our protagonist's mother and uh, the butcher's former
0: lover. Well, yeah, I mean, nothing brings characters closer together like sharing in a first kill, you know. So, but uh, <laughs> I thought it was really interesting in this one. You actually felt a little bit of sympathy for uh, the main bounty hunter who was after them, you know, that went into his story a little bit more when he was a kid, and it actually showed the butcher having an affair with his mother, and paying his mother to basically kill the boy's mm-hmm. father, and then the kid, of course, is not old enough, he doesn't understand, even though it's it's clearly established that his dad is not good people, um, he's still trying to warn his dad, and all this so it was actually, it humanized some of the villains a little bit more as well, which, there, there's layers to this book that I'm really enjoying, and it was the same with uh, mm-hmm. this creative team's previous book, uh, Bad Mother, which also had Christopher uh-huh. Faust writing and Mike Diodato on art. And there's, as you say, it's interesting because there's long stretches without no dialogue or minimal dialogue, but there's still a lot of deep layers going on here. So I, I'm loving this book. This this is this has a real shot to be AWA's best title so far. Very very good stuff. Um, mm, I, I agree. It is absolutely fantastic,
1: but I will disagree about it being AWA's best title so far.
0: More on that later. More on that later. I didn't even realise that when I said that. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Year Zero or something. Uh, But yeah, that's Redemption number three uh, of five. uh, Christopher Faust and Mike Diodato Jr. and Lee Lockridge. So two more indie picks just to finish off with. These are both books that I know just yourself was reading at the moment, Keith. I read the first one in Trades. I've got the first trade at home. And the second one I've collected the issues but not read yet.
1: Okay, well, two Aftershock books. Um, And... uh, the first of those is Undone by Blood, or the Other Side of Eden. Uh, number two, so this is the second arc of the Undone by Blood stories, and and I would say if you're if you're already a fan of this series, if you've you you know if you've you've read the first arc and enjoyed it, you, know, you just need to add this one to your pull list and and uh, and work away. So um, if if you you haven't read it, but you're thinking about it. If you're a fan of uh, the likes of that Texas Blood, uh, the neo-western noir sort of thrillery type thing, then this is absolutely right up your street. So you've got the you've got the two two um, I guess storylines here that that, that are complementary to one another. From the pages of the the battered pulp novel that the the, the main antagonist the main protagonist of the other story is carried along, we have Saul Eaton, the cowboy continues his reluctant alliance, joining with a band of untrustworthy bandits on an ill-advised train heist that leads to an inevitable confrontation with a mythical gunman known as uh, Elbutra, the vulture. Meanwhile, in the real world, we have Silvano and Bod. They continue on their equally ill-advised heist at the Equities Building. And when things inevitably go sideways here as well, they find themselves pinched, pitched against uh, the mysterious... Equitas Brotherhood so it's really interesting both of our of our protagonists are there's nowhere else that either of them can go except straight to the place where guns blaze and prizes await and it just you know it continues that the thrilling western action set against the superb heist story um, it's just really it's just really brilliant stuff I love the I love the the, the, the dual narrative of these books and Sammy Cavella and Jason Wardy they perfectly capture the 1800s Western aesthetic and the great depression era. You know, the, the rain soaked cargo and the train and the cowboy costumes and just the attention to detail. It, it could be uh, like a, an old, an old, uh, Western comic, you know, it's absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, just, just, just great, great stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the the heist that's going on with Silvano and Body, it's the tallest building in, in Buttar, Texas, and they it's just it's it's just so good. It's um really enjoying it, really enjoying everything about it. Uh everything about this this book. So I'm looking forward to you to you getting onto it.
0: Yeah, as I say, trade's there, so it is for the first one. Aftershock can be one of those annoying uh, publishers that uh, well not annoying I suppose but it's just it can be tricky sometimes to retrace a number one after it's already been released they don't tend to do second printings for example so if you're know if you just interested in reading which let's be honest this is what comics is all about so I, I tend if I miss the first issue of an Aftershock title I tend to just wait for, for it to hit trade so as I say the first one's on the bookshelf there so I will give that a read one day and then the other yeah. title it's another Aftershock one then yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is uh, issue
1: four of Scouts Honor by uh, David Popos and uh, Luca Castellanguida. So I think this is the best issue of the series so far. It's fast-paced adventure, drama, action, and danger, and all with fantastic art to back up a great story. So the, the, the central conceit of this is that since the days of the final war, capital F, capital W, the Ranger Scouts of America... Yeah, you know, that, that have honed their survivalist teachings for a single purpose to conquer the radioactive horror, radioactive horrors of the Colorado Badlands. But after discovering the true nature, the truth behind, you know, the doctrine of the Ranger Scouts and its history, our protagonist Kit, uh, who has been uh, a, a girl masquerading as a guy because one of the doctrines of the Ranger Scouts is that only men can can uh, can be Ranger Scouts. She's been driven into the post-apocalyptic wilderness and left for dead. And there's a savage radioactive predator in her trail, a la Fallout, you know, the Fallout games. And the, the story's just hit this emotional crossroads that explores, the, I guess, the nature of faith and, I suppose, what happens whenever you lose that faith. And issue four is a culmination of all of the character development that Kit has undergone, all of the crap that she's been put through. And at this point, she's been stripped down. She's lost everything, her father, her best friend, the the organization that she dedicated her entire life to and she's forced to really look inside and, and figure out why she wants to keep on living, what she's living for and where she goes if she goes on. So I mean the next issue's the, the finale it's promising a massive fight. I can't wait to see how the creators sort of bring it all home and they've they've proven themselves really capable at balancing, I guess, post apocalyptic action and character development. So I'm expecting great things from the end
0: excellent excellent so that's uh issue four or five then of scout's honor next issue being the finale yeah as i say it was another one of those ones that i didn't receive enough number ones but again i'd heard loads of great stuff so i started collecting two three four and then eventually they sent me a number one so uh again i'll read that all in one sitting i think so that is going to do it for the honorable mentions then and we will move on then to picks of the week so just the two of us this week of course so we can't represent all three companies but uh you know there was easily a marvel title that could have made a pick of the week this week here but in terms of the actual picks of the week for me this week it's a dc title it's a bat title i know shocker uh for me the best title this week was joker number two so this is written by james tinney the fourth who of course is you know doing the main batman title with uh, jorge jimenez but on this book he's doing uh uh, the art is by Game March. So let me say right up front, this review will contain big old spoilers because there's no way for me to talk about just how much I enjoyed this issue without spoiling the hell out of it. So, still here? Good. Anytime a modern <laughs> comic calls back to a classic comic series or run, it makes the series instantly better, in my opinion. You know, by showing respect to what came before it, whether it's a story from five years ago or 50 years ago. I mean, for me, the comic art form is unique in this aspect. Sure, you can get callbacks in TV shows or movies, to other superhero shows, and Marvel are amongst the best in the world at doing it, but these are usually short-term callbacks, callbacks for the too-long, didn't-read, modern audiences. With Joker number one, we were already getting callbacks to The Killing Joke, to No Man's Land, and more. Well, with issue two, Tinian is pulling out the big guns. There's mentions the back to Frank Miller's year one, as Gordon recounts how his first partner Flas filled him in and how he could make some more money in Gotham. And then, on the last page, the Court of Isles. Oh my God, I actually whooped out loud at (laughs) 2 in the morning at this. So, Gordon, Uh, Commissioner Gordon, or former Commissioner Gordon, he's being courted and possibly hired by Gotham's oldest secret society, first appearing back in Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's 2011 run, The Court and City of Isles. This is a massive sweet spot for me, and my enjoyment and excitement levels for this series jumped 100% at this revelation. But like any good reveal, it's only as good as what came before it, and again, Joker is a series that's delivered on both issues for me so far. You know, the idea of getting Tinian on two separate Batman titles, each able to keep their core artist due to the monthly nature of said title, is brilliant. You know, I don't know if this is Marie Yavins who came in as the new editor-in-chief of DC who came up with this plan, But instead of having that back and forth of a fortnightly Batman title with the artist changing, doing it this way is a stroke of genius. And it's so simple. You know, so in this case, Guillaume March is doing Tinian's words justice with every single panel. So with this title, all roads inevitably lead to the Joker. But that's what makes it so intriguing. You know, it's just how many different roads lead to him. You have Gordon and whether he will accept this last lucrative case or not. You have a new character being built over in Santa Prisca following the death of Bean at A-Day. You have an old inbred family of cannibals who had a family member housed in Arkham Asylum and was killed during the A-Day attacks. And then the mysterious Cressetta who is trying to hire Gordon and her last page reveal. And everyone is out to get the Joker so much that they all have their own plans and backup plans. You know the villains of this piece are leaving no stone unturned. They ultimately want to do what Batman never can and that's kill the Joker. You know, what's great about this and why it suits Tinian's Dark Sensibility so much is that it is a very, very dark tale being woven. You know, you have themes of a man's breaking point, and if that point is reached, what his, he is willing to do that will basically make the 40 years before null and void. You have that sense of monetary entitlement for doing everything in your life by the book and therefore deserving something at the end to show for it. You have that sense of legacy of making what you did in life mean more that your children who follow can benefit. And then you even have the secrecy between father and daughter and a reveal that frankly blew my mind as well as Gordon admits <laughs> to Barbara he has known for years he has known for years um, I mean you know how, how do you, uh,
1: it makes it makes perfect sense how does a, a daughter get away with a secret with uh you know whenever her father who she's so close to is is certainly one of the greatest detectives of the d c universe
0: yeah well um, that's it it was always you know, that suspension of disbelief wasn't it it's similar to you know clark kent having a pair of glasses but you don't know it's superman there was always that inbuilt sense of disbelief but i'm glad they've acknowledged it and been like you really think i didn't know you know to be honest that's yeah. there's a seven page scene in this between batman gordon and barbara that's among the best written and most tense scenes in modern batman comics and batman's essentially a supporting character you know what i mean it's you know gordon's asking for his resources to help him track down the joker he knows barbara's in his ear It's this brilliant, brilliant scene. Um, You know, Joker for me so far, it's been an extremely fast-moving story, but also tons of character work. There's loads of small moments and details and excellent art. You know, just little pauses in some of the dialogue or Barbara picking up on the fact that Gordon said, you know, just went, yeah, I'll try my best. You know, that sort of thing. He doesn't promise Batman anything. He, He leaves his answers deliberately vague. You know, even when he talks to Barbara about this whole plan of, you know, killing the Joker you know, he tells her about it and she says, because you're considering it and the dialogue is I'm not not considering it. You know, it's deliberately vague and and Gordon is a man of layers and he's a broken man at this point and jaded and at the end of his life and despite being a good man his whole life, can he bring himself to do this for the greater good? But he takes on the burden onto his shoulders. You know, it's just great details throughout the book. Excellent art the whole way through it. You know, when the Joker series was first announced, I must admit I wasn't too sure. You know, it's joker being be massively overexposed, which just had Joker War. You know, I, I've no doubt that he is, of course, Batman's number one selling villain, you know, and most marketable and all the rest, but I should really learn not to doubt Tinian at this point. This book is fantastic, and issue one was great, and issue two was better. So, definitely my pick of the week, and that Cordoval's edition just just seal the deal for me i mean i've talked about all that the backup story me nah, didn't do an awful lot for me i have to say but <laughs> yeah, i, I mean, don't after... care because that first three quarters is exceptional so yeah
1: yeah i i mean i totally agree i i would have loved three or four more pages of of joker um than rather than because that was a wee bit of a of, of a of a come down after after uh you know the main story i mean yeah I think it's great. I think they're using Joker fantastically in that they're using him minimally. Yeah, uh, you know, a little bit of Joker a,
0: goes a long way.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. If this was plastered with Joker, it would not be the same book by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's almost so. Like, yeah, I mean,
0: it's almost like sorry to cut you off just very quickly, but it's almost like I think we talked about this last week for a different title. You had said about uh, Ed Brisson using the Keenan Black banner to tell his Ghost Rider story. Yeah, this feels like Tinian has when yeah, yeah, guys, it's a Joker book. It's a Joker book. Yep, we can sell the hell out of this. It's a Joker book. No, no, no. This is an exploration of Gordon book. This is a with Gordon a book, little yeah, bit sure. of Joker in there, but that's maybe not as marketable. So you know, he's 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 got a wee trick up his sleeve there. Yeah, I mean, I love how they keep
1: you know Batman's here, but they've kept him in the background.
0: Yeah, very. much you know,
1: he's, he's 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 very much a a, a co-star in Gordon's book. Uh, I think they've done a great job. I mean, they've. They've taken what, what could have been a fairly sort of not mediocre but run-of-the-mill setup story and just made it just boom, explode with just all those moments. You know, as Gordon is, as you say, setting out to hunt the Calling Prince of Crime, he, he knows that Batman is a fantastic resource and owes him some favours and, and can't leave Gotham right now to, to come with him. Uh, you know, so he makes that choice very very clearly, very carefully, you know, but he needs some of that information and logistics and only gives Batman a certain amount of detail, uh, you know, pertaining to his mission, so he sort of yeah. does to Batman what Batman always does to him, you know, yeah. whatever he did, yeah, so uh, yeah, so I thought it was great, I loved, I mean, obviously uh, I was excited to see the, the Court of Owls because of the resonance with Nightwing and all that sort of stuff, and, and yeah, the original Yeah, you're, you're of Owls, catching totally. up on
0: all that stuff at just the right time, so you are. Yeah. Because obviously yeah, it absolutely, was something you'd so. never read. But but yeah, there's just there's so much being said up here. I mean, I know you had asked about that sort of deep south, you know, cannibal family. I don't know an awful lot about that. I, I even looked into it a little bit as well. So I wonder if Tinian is uh creating some new characters here as well. And then you have this sort of uh return of, you know, the people who have followed Bane and saw him as a as a, as a hero, basically, of where he was from. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not like they're going to take it lying down that the Joker killed Bane, essentially, you know? Well, qu- air quotes, killed, because no one ever stays uh-huh, there. In yes, uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh. But, yeah, I just... I've read this issue three or four times already. I just absolutely love it. I mean, it's even little details. Like, there's a... Like, the fact that Gordon has to use, like, a crappy torch on his fire escape to find Batman, and... He's sort of like, you took long enough, not your most effective signal, Jim. You used to have a light I could see from the other side (laughs) of the bay. And then little art details like the two bat signals, you know, um, reflecting in Gordon's glasses and stuff. And there's just, there's a lot of thought has went into this book. And because it's, again, I go back to it, this whole monthly format suits it because they can spend longer on it instead of being like, right, Batman book every two weeks, every two weeks, every two weeks. I've no doubt this would have fed into the main Batman title if they'd have continued that model but they've been able to separate it in a way that's really effective. Agreed,
1: yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a couple of interesting wee moments, like the bit where, just as you're saying, you know, Gordon's trying to signal Batman, I think, mean, eventually gets him, says he's been standing out here freezing his ass off, and says, let's go inside, and Batman's like, Jim, as if he's not comfortable going into Jim's apartment. Yeah. Like, he's never been there before. Yeah. You know, he's, You know. Uh, I think that's interesting, and he's like, we need to talk about the Joker, Batman, and I don't want to do it here. You know, and he's, it's almost like he's, I think it's, you know, Gordon is is psyching Batman out here. You know what I mean? He's inviting him into his home. He's saying, I trust you implicitly. But at the same time, he's also doing that. So he's keeping Batman off guard. So whenever he doesn't share all the information, Batman won't notice.
0: Yeah, he even says like, oh, I wonder how long I can see the gears turning in his head. You know, Gordon has like this, this little slow smile on his face of, that's good. He's distracted crap yeah barbara's not distracted <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah that that moment with uh with where where gordon and he's he's had this he, he's had this in his back pocket yeah like for so long hole. you know that, that the ace in the hole and he actually plays the card that he knows that oracle is is barbara is uh is fantastic that was the moment of this book for me i
0: really enjoyed that uh <laughs> i reread that part <laughs> twice because i was like did he really just say that yeah yeah that and i mean like... the, your your mind goes to the or
1: if he if he realizes this, is it how long is it before he he deciphers the whole bat family? Yeah. you know what I mean, and realizes who they all are. Uh, you know it's uh,
0: definitely that's definitely interesting. Um, but yeah, really really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed this,
1: uh, okay. for sure.
0: Excellent. So yeah, so that was my choice of the week. Then that was Joker number two, and that is Jim's Tinney in the fourth on writing and Gia March on art. Why don't you bring us home then? Keith, tell us what your pick of the week was then from Wednesday the 14th of April.
1: My pick of the week is the AWA title that I think is shaping up to be their best title. <laughs>
0: uh, it all and links. That
1: is, it absolutely does. And that is Chariot number no. 2 from AWA Upshot by Brian Edward Hill with uh, Priscilla Petretes on art and Margot Lesko on colours. So this, as I say, this is shaping up to be two issues in it. Shaping up to be one of my favourite new series of uh, 2021. Just this blend of 80s sci-fi action with sort of retro futuristic synthwave, they call it aesthetics. It's just totally cool and a totally not even trying sort of way that to that completely appeals to my 80s kid sensibilities. I bet you Roddy is loving this. It's part night Rider, it's part Weird Science, it's part gritty vice movie, and there's a pinch of manga thrown in there. So the first issue of this introduced us to Jim. He's a down on his luck dad. He's trying to scrape together the funds to pay for his sick kid. And his life changes completely when he comes across a futuristic car that has somehow we're not quite sure yet absorbed the personality of its female secret agent pilot before being lost and laying dormant in the underwater for 40 years. So, you know, we, we discovered all that in issue one and this issue sort of widens the lens and shows us much more of the, the world of chariot. Now, Jillian, who is the, uh, is the personality of the car the the secret agent, um, who, you know, in the in the first issue she was run off the road, under water, couldn't get out of the car, and apparently died in the in the chariot in the car, but we, we, we now know that, that the chariot has absorbed or, or been programmed or downloaded her personality in some way and now expresses her as a as a hologram. Again, another very eighties thing. Uh, you know, but she's she's definitely not kit. She's she's not the the understood Michael or acknowledged Michael, you know, she's She's this, you know, miniskirt-wearing holographic shadow of a dead super spy who makes a class partner for this this you know uh, guy who just makes bad decisions. Not quite a bad boy, but but uh, something like it. And the visuals by Priscilla Bertieris are absolutely phenomenal. I mean, there's there's these scenes in it where you, you you see the 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 area or the where where she takes she takes jim into the into the landscape that she has lived the past 40 years and it's like something out of tron you know it's the you can you can see the 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 lines in the sky and the you know the 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 lines on the on the ground but there she lives in this sort of mountain that is like a a version seems to be like a version of boulder hill for mask but it's a computer-generated, and as computer generated, as generated by a by a Commodore sixty four, uh, you know, with these, you know, and it just looks phenomenal. It just looks class. Um, as I say, something out of Tron. You know, that digital landscape where she's been trapped for decades, and we're we're introduced to, or we're, well, we were introduced to Jim's ex, the father of of his son, uh, Siri. and she, her. I mean, her characterization is phenomenal. It's it's just it's just really really great and i have to say kudos to them for for acknowledging where any what any regular guy would do if this car started talking to him. <laughs> you know he he takes it along to his ex and like, like well, what is going on here what is what is happening so it's it's just great i mean brian edward hill's script is is just brilliant there's those sort of vice city you know, sort of yeah. vibes that have a, a soft mean neon. streak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, it's and then there's this, this sort of mean streak that pops up, you know, and there's science fiction in there as well. It's it's just fun. It's it's gorgeously told. Uh, you know, and it, it definitely it definitely really sizzles. And yeah, this issue's interesting because if you hadn't picked up issue one, I think you could probably read issue two and understand what was going on. Uh but we're introduced we're introduced to I think the the, the big bad of the story who happens to be um who happens to be Gillian's sister. Uh, who obviously Gillian died forty years ago in her prime and was absorbed into the car. The sister is 40 years older is probably in her 70s but in the first three pages undergoes this nano restoration process which you can only assume is temporary and uh you know takes her back to her to her prime you know in her thirties or whatever and uh and she's like some sort of mad cybered up ninja and is is going after the gym in order to get to the get to the chariot you know for her sister. We don't know yet what the story is but it's great stuff. Um you know the way that the way that the art uses light is great. You know the hologram effect of Jillian of from the car is really impressive you know and the transparency and uh, the design of of the 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 bad guy, the the sister is really really cool, and the transformation effect is cool, um, and and even the the difference in in Jillian's, you know, the car's speech bubbles uh, is is very very cool, like the, the pink coloration and the kind of making it, you know, feel like a like an old computerized thing. It's it's very very cool, and the sound effects and the and the, the action scenes. So, yeah, I mean. First issue was all action. There's a lot of action in this. Slows down a wee bit as the the story takes a wee bit more time and we get some background information. There's still a lot more to be revealed. Uh, there's some great action and violence. There's you know some nudity in here and some cursing, so it's 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 pretty hardcore. You know, and it earns its mature rating. Um, a lot of exposition, but really really cool and a great a great cliffhanger. Uh, not unlike I guess one of the cliffhangers we've seen recently in Firepower. Um, so for me issue three can come can come soon enough. Uh, really really excellent issue of second issue of a really cool comic with a really cool uh, concept you know and a synth wave vibe to it and I absolutely urge you to to pick it up and if you can't get it because it's a it's more of a small press sort of a thing, then definitely look towards uh, AWF been doing a great job of their their trades. Uh, so definitely look towards the trade on this. This is fantastic. Chariot number two of five.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting title because I liked the first issue. I didn't love the first issue, but this put it up a notch for me. As you say, it's it's an interesting one where you can start at ground level almost at issue two and have mm. everything explained to you. And you're starting to see the pieces fall into place. You, you're seeing the sense of humor of the book. You know, the whole part where he's trying to say, he's like, Jillian, show her. What are you into? Who's chilling? I'm not crazy, honestly talk to her are you on something no there's a person in the car you know it's it starts to show its sense of humor but again you have that you know really malevolent character at the start who just pure evil by the look of it and is able to restore herself as you say it'll probably be a temporary thing or you know maybe it causes her great pain to do it that kind of thing but yeah it just has great moments of humor i I really liked where they're in the car for the first time and he says oh that's it we're going to the police and then the next scene is like this hot neon pink sort of electrocution effect and she's like looks like we're gonna have to establish some rules cowboy uh yeah the, the the second book took a big leap up for me in quality i have to say and although it is a similar cliffhanger to firepower i don't see it ending the same way as that fire no,
1: i mean i don't know where this is going at all here i mean i don't know if if his body will die and he will be absorbed into the car as well or yeah. is he gonna land what, on the car but- yeah, if he's going to, or what's going to, were we going to see some of the car's other abilities maybe or whatever? But, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I feel like there's, there's going to be, they're foreshadowing that with this, this, this baddie, there's something else is going to happen here. You know, the regeneration process was completed, but there was worries that there was, it was, it was going to be difficult because she had to override the, the protocols on it. So, so what happens here, as I say, him, him visiting Sadie and trying to explain the car and uh, she she really you know that the character of Sadie really came to life I think this this issue and then you know whenever Jillian in the car you know puts I guess interfaces with his brain directly and shows him you know her landscape and how she lives and, and and what you know I guess that gave him the link to the car and all that sort of stuff so it was great and then I mean you can see he's just a good guy I mean he's you know, she has the, the idea that the car, the AAI in the car has downloaded, you know, 10 cents from every account above such and such across such and such an area in order to give them the money they need, in order to give their kid the medical treatment that he needs, you know, and uh, and her, Gillian's voice in the back of his head with every interaction now is class. <laughs> yeah, very, very good. Very enjoyable. Glad you, glad you enjoyed
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you you know me, I'm on all the AWA stuff anyway, but uh, yeah, although it was a little slow getting started for me, yeah, the second issue was was awesome. I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, so that's chariot number two. We do still have issue ones and two in the store, I think, as well. So if you're listening to this and you like the sound of it, drop me a message. We don't have loads of them, but uh, I'm nearly sure we've got both copies in store anyway. So, well, finish things off then with the titles that we're looking forward to most then coming out this week which will be the 21st of April. So three that really stand out for me I could easily name more but as ever we're going to kick it down to three. Uh, for me it's two in the one dc so the first one is Many Deaths of Lila Star. This is going to be a new five issue miniseries from Boom Studios so straight away always a good sign if it's Boom Studios but also the creative team you have Ram V. writing and Felipe Andre on Art so with this one, it is a powerful new series for fans of the Wicked and the Divine and the Dreaming from Ram v and Philippe Andrade that explores the fine line between living and dying in Mumbai through the lens of magical realism. With humanity on the verge of discovering immortality, the avatar of death is fired and relegated to the world below to live out her now finite days in the body of 20-something Lila Star in Mumbai. Struggling with her newfound mortality, Lila has found a way to be placed in the time and place where the creator of immortality will be born. But will Lila take her chance to permanently reverse the course of future history, or does a more shocking fate await her? Uh, Keep an eye out on the podcast network for something very closely linked to that title in the next week or two as well. Yes. Uh, We will say no more. Uh, My second one is Orphan and the Five Beasts, number two of four. So this is a Dark Horse series series. Uh, issue 1 was an honourable mention the week it came out. This is by James Stokoe on writing on art duties. So this is part 2. A brave warrior following his master's final wish finds the dreaded bandit leader that used to be a hero but is now a force of destruction that threatens all life in the valley with his indestructible legs and two trees bearing heaven fighting style. Just really over the top kung fu stuff. Yeah, loved issue 1. And then my final one is Superman Red and Blue. That's right, not one bad title listed this week. Mm. It, it can happen, uh, but yeah Superman Red and Blue, I love the first issue, I think it was my pick of the week it came out, this is the Superman Anthology series, different creative teams each time, so this time you've got art by Dan Panasian, Dennis Cowan, Marley Zarconi. you've got writers Stephanie Phillips, Dan Panassian on writing as well, and Chuck Brown so explore the world of Superman in a way you've never seen before, five brand new stories, a visual tour de force with only the Man of Steel's signature colours There are tales starring Clark Kent, the original Superman, including a showdown with his most tenacious foe Lex Luthor. But there's also a great space adventure with Val Zod, the Superman of Earth 2, going up against an amped up version of Prometheus. And then there is Cyborg Superman, a warped reflection of the real deal with a mission as opposite to Superman's as any could be. But no matter how out there the situation goes, it always comes back to the one man and the planet he loves, and he has sworn to protect, and the people he inspires, young and old. So, yeah, really looking forward to all three of those. What about yourself? Well,
1: uh for me, I do have a bat book on my list, so uh so the <laughs> the bat family isn't going to go uh, unappreciated uh, in the coming week, but there's also an old guard book on the list, which I just can't look past. It is an anthology uh which you know I'm sure Roddy is now going up. Keith has completely come round to anthologies now <laughs>
0: um
1: because there there's a with between the uh the batman um urban legends book and, and this but The Old Guard Tales Through Time, number one it's a star-studded anthology event the best-selling, critically acclaimed Old Guard now a Netflix movie starring Shirley Theron, returns with all new stories by writers Greg Rucka Vida Alea, uh, Brian Michael Bendis Kelly Sue DeConnick, Matt Fraction David F. Walker and more and artists Leandro Fernandez Horacio Altuna, uh, Rick Burchett, uh, Valentin Dilandro uh, Justin Greenwood, Keno, Nicholas Scott, and more. Andromache, the Scythian, a warrior over six thousand years old, has fought more battles than she cares to remember. Has kept one constant companion through her lifetime of combat, her lyre. The Andes battle axe takes many forms and many lives, in it's century old. Uh, and it's centuries at her side. A story told by the old guard creators Greg Rucka and Leandro Hernandez. Meanwhile. Niccolo Niki De Genova and Yusuf Joe al lovers since they tried and failed to kill each other in the first crusade. Spend an evening in Berlin's famed Eldorado nightclub in the twilight era of 1932. Sharing drinks with drag queens and fist fighting Nazis in an all new story by uh, writer Andrew Wheeler and uh, Jacopo Carmanji. Uh, Cam- yeah, Carmanji. So uh, that looks like, uh, that looks like uh, a great start to this book. So obviously this is an anthology tale that's going to bridge the gap while we're waiting for the third and final um, series uh, of, uh, of Old Guard. So really looking forward to that. Um, what else? Uh, I'm on a big Sy Spurrier kick at the minute. So Way of X number one is coming out um, by uh, Sy Spurrier and Bob Quinn. Uh, the Way of the Future of X, mutant kine has built a new Eden, and there are serpents in the garden. Some mutants struggle to fit in, some mutants turn to violence and death, and the children whisper of the patchwork man singing in their hearts. Only one mutant senses the looming shadows. Snared by questions of death, law, and love, only Nightcrawler can fight for the soul of Krakoa. Only he and a curious crew he assembles, including fan favorites, Dr. Nemesis, Pixie, and Blink, can help mutants defeat their inner darkness and find a new way to live. This is the way of X. So looking forward to Sy Sparrier and Bob Quinn pushing the frontiers of Krakoa in a, a new entry into the reign of X. And then lastly, but not leastly, um, we have uh, our our DC pick uh, from the Bat Family, Nightwing number 79, the second issue of Tom Taylor's uh, Take on Dick Grayson. So Dick Grayson has inherited Alfred's fortune, a puppy, and a whole lot of questions. Who is Merzuko, and what is her relation to the man who murdered Dick's parents? What sinister plan does Blockbuster have for Bloodhaven? What kind of dog food is best for a three-legged puppy? To answer these questions and more, Dick's going to need a little help from his friends, past and present. So fantastic stuff here. Looking forward to to Tom Taylor and uh, Bruno Redondo uh, second issue on Nightwing with Nightwing seventy nine.
0: A puppy we now know to be called Healy due to uh, an informal Twitter poll. So, yeah, I thought I'd leave that Nightwing one for you and take a break from recommending Bat Books every week, but that is still top of my pile as well. So, Excellent. So, yeah, so those are the titles we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Just a reminder, again, we will be open for Click and Collect this week on Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, We will be putting up on social media on the Wednesday, the new release rack's. There may even be a lovely little addition just above those new release racks that may show off. Uh, mm-hmm. and we'll also be showing off all the new graphics out this week as well, including an omnibus that uh, has Mr. Miller's name written all over it yes indeedy <laughs> so uh yeah so that's gonna do it for us for this week uh, as i say guys keep an eye on the socials as ever we'll keep you up to date with all the news for reopening click and click services and, and new releases as well and also i've been putting on loads more stock onto the website this week i think i've put on another 300 titles up there so in the last couple of days so plenty of choice so my thanks as always to keith it was a pleasure as always sir
1: yes that was a, a lot of fun a lot of comics in a relatively short time um jesus here's hoping next week is just as
0: fantastic as this week was yeah this is definitely a week that the markdown in the books a lot of strong stuff and there's at least three or four of those just by talking about them there i might just go back and read anyway ah, i'm good, gonna stick that here and uh <laughs> i will let you go and enjoy your last evening with your lovely misses before you enter 10 days of bachelorhood so Yes, indeed. I may be feral by the time we talk next week. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. Thanks very much for listening, guys. I uh, will see you next time.